Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. So, Romans chapter 14. Um, And if you have a Bible, open your Bible and just... I'll be jumping around it today. Um, Quarrel over opinions. One person believes he made anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, we're just going to spend a whole day talking about the blessing of who abstains, pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he's one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord, for none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are... Why do you pass judgment on your brother or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather it's unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of in. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because eating is not from, his eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Practical for some things that, that we deal with as a church and as the church um, today, because ultimately it's about unity in the church. Um, and yet, I think the underneath it that I think are very applicable to what we're dealing with. So, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. And Paul is going to use the language of the weaker brother and the stronger brother um, in this, really, that, well, because certainly there are people that are weaker in faith and stronger in faith, and a lot of that just has to do with how long you've been walking with the Lord. So, Romans 12 starts this whole passage, this whole section of Romans off with... um, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and you're transformed by the renewing of your mind to a degree to which you, the length of time that you've been uh, following the Lord. And so it makes sense that some people are going to be stronger brothers and sisters, and other people are going to be weaker brothers and sisters, you know, that we're doing something in order to earn the favor of the Lord. Like, their practices they th- thought they needed to do physically that would make, that would make God approve of them. And Paul would call them, and then the gospel comes in, and it's grace. It's not about what we've done for God, but what he's done for us. We're like, oh, that's great. But then we still, law is so hard for us to get rid of that we can do it. Then it's it's grace plus law. Like, he did his part, but I have to do my part. 
And then we're like, it's then law. And then we realize we can't even get our act together without the grace of God um, working in our favor. And so it's just grace upon grace upon grace. And we give up all control and accept that God's in control. Call them the weaker brother. And so one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes Jewish people are used to celebrating these Old Testament festival days or the Sabbath or the Passover or the Day of Atonement or the Feast of Booths. And they're thinking, well, do we still have to do that? Because it's in what we have with the Bible, which is the old type of thing they're debating. Then he says, the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. And again, based on Old Testament stuff, that might be bacon. They couldn't eat pork in the Old. could be um, they're in Rome, and so there's, there, there are temples all over the place to Roman gods and other gods, and there would be meat sacrificed to those gods, but those gods aren't gods, so they don't eat that meat, so the meat's just there, and so they would sell God so it doesn't even make a difference, you know? So that's probably the type of stuff that they're debating. But he says none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. And he keeps pressing to this point of like the deeper issue is unity in some way. So are there areas of freedom like that, what you eat or days you celebrate? Are there issues like that that separate us as a church? Sort of, maybe, kind of, I don't know. Uh, how many of you grew up in like a really church? Hmm, secular music. How many of you burned your CDs at one point? Good job. I'm just kidding. Balls, uh, what? Playing cards. cards. Yeah. Alcohol. How many of you grew up in a house where, like, your parents didn't drink alcohol because the church told them not to? Yeah. We. I didn't grow up in a super churchy church. My dad was a deacon in our church. No one cared about his. um, In the South, um, in seminary. Well, actually, it's probably in a commentary. Oh no, in seminary you couldn't drink while you were in seminary. Um, I miss the orientation, though. I was only there part-time, and I wasn't Baptist. I don't think, whoops. Uh, but I read a commentary, um, and I still read this guy, I just think, but where it suggested, because Jesus used wine for communion, and Jesus' first miracle was turning water and turned all this water into wine. Like, read the story. That's just what it seems like. And, um, and, and Paul tells Timothy to take some wine for his stomach. And I read a commentary, comic alcohol are going to end up with an alcohol problem. So, like, there's something to be said for that, you know. Um, but that, that is a freedom issue. Um, there are other types of, but too old for that, the wave. But I do remember that, where people are like, oh, you can't do that because it's, you know, getting into some stuff. Or Harry Potter, I definitely remember that because I was like a youth pastor when Harry Potter came out. Or maybe just past it. And um, um, I read it. Like last year, it took me a while to get to it. You know, I got a big stack of books. It's fine. Go ahead and read it. In my own opinion, it's just a morality tale. Halloween. Um, you know, some of you may not have a newsletter. It was just kind of like a blog email thing. And one year he was like, um, he just said, I don't think it's clear, clear scripturally. And I do think that this is the last thing as neighborhoods that we all got it, you know, from scripture. Like he felt it was more important that we're, we practice hospital. Hosp- hospitality and like hang out with their neighbors because it's one of the last times that we do that as a culture um like these 20 foot skeletons like i don't know where this goes in 10 or 15 years um and the thing down in oakwood that started out cool but like that's just weird now if that house down there so our kids out of conviction and have invested a lot of time and energy in that um and then other people that 
that didn't either didn't have the conviction or the means to do that. And so there's between homes and cussing. Let me throw that out there is like a debate that I have with other pastors kind of. And I don't I had I don't think we have this video. I had I had a. Um, but I've always thought it's just an interjection, but they changed the letters a little bit, and so I'm not sure why these words are so much worse than these words, and so it's never been as big a deal to me. Um, oh, but some words do seem like a bigger deal than others, and if you take the Lord's name in vain, then that's a biblical, creating a ton of disunity, um, whatever. So, then he, but this, this verse is what got me, and I think gets underneath it to a deeper issue. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment, like look down your nose at, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Are there topics that cause judgment and contempt? Yeah, there are. So, um, and I think that's a big problem for the church right now. So a few, let me delve back into this lightly and then heavily. Um, a few years ago, uh, I did a, um, I don't even remember what I was preaching on, but I, we did that, a bunch of people did it. I was at a wedding probably two weeks into that thing. Someone got married at Marbles. Does anybody remember this wedding? You remember who it was? I have no idea. Was it? We don't need to debate that. There was a Perrier, and at my table is someone from our church who is a good friend who's like, oh, Jeff's not drinking tonight. Oh, Jeff's better than us because he's not drinking anything. I'm like... Dude, you were there. You listened to the sermon. You know what this is about. And I miss him. Um, but I was like, come on, what is happening? At the same table is another guy who's probably the primary reason that I did this, who um, had come to me a few months earlier and said, hey, I might have a drinking problem. I said, what makes you think you have a drinking problem? He's like, I'm drinking like a case of Bud. Uh, and, but, and he was hiding it from his wife. Like, and if I had given you some names of people that have been here over the years, this guy would be at the bottom of your list. You would never know. And, and so he's sitting at the same table, and I'm like, hmm. Um, I mentioned this book last week, Brennan Manning, Ragamuffin Gospel. It's an old book. It's a great book. But he has a story in here where his wife is taking graduate courses in religious education. And so take, it's, it's, I, it's a, on the religious groups during Jesus' time and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes and the Zealots and the differences between them. And then the sinners, the outcasts in that culture. And um, he, he gets to the end of his lecture and says, let's do a little exercise in this side of the room. And all the people that are reformed smokers, so they used to smoke, but they stopped smoking because that's when everybody was stopping smoking in the middle. And then would the smokers get to the, to the right? So there's 30 people and 12 people and three smokers and his wife. He's, and it used to be you could smoke anywhere. Like you could smoke in an airplane, right? And then you could only smoke in the back of an airplane, possibly the dumbest rule anybody's ever come up with. And, but they're just secondhand smoke was this big thing and people were getting mad about it. And, um, how do you feel about smokers personally? And so this group of non-smokers starts launching out with these statements. They are disgusting and inconsiderate. Obvious questions about the quality of their faith and the depth of their personal relationship with Christ. Manning's wife who's over here, says, I cowered against the wall, the far wall, feeling like the woman caught in adultery. Suddenly, the environment was so bonding because of our shared life and ministry. The Reformed smokers were much more understanding because they'd been there, a place of addiction. At first, I was angry. When the inner rage finally subsided, I wanted to weep. I have never felt so alone. The bell sounded, class ended, we filed out of the room in silence. The next, I learned something about myself. Said the woman who had made the harshest and most judgmental comments, I need a lot more compassion for people who are different from myself. The professor asked, how did you feel yesterday, Rosalind? 
She said, when I was standing against the wall, I actually thought the group number one of people would have thrown stones. Are there issues that cause that level of, I can't believe you would do that within the church today? Okay, let's do our own exercise. If you voted, do that. (laughs) Whatever you do, don't do that. (laughs) If you were vaccinated, you go over here. And if you're unvaccinated, you go over here. Man, there are things that have just um, gotten us. Any of you saw this commercial or have seen it, um, and it, it aired like a week or two ago. Here, pause it for just a second until we get some sound on it. Has anybody seen this? Um, well, you guys can read it in here. It, we won't worry about sound, but just just keep it going because I think it's worth doing in the time that we have. If you're on the live stream, you probably don't. That organization that put a commercial out on it, on, it was on a college football game last week, and I think it's perfect for our time. He's taking a knee against police brutality. Such an important conversation right now. The amount of discrimination and hate that has been directed at the due to their economic status. A football game is not the time to talk about income inequality. Yes, it is. And no low-income family is more discriminated against than the African American. Yes. Republicans. No. The man has a right more than climate change. And I'm back in. <laughs> Um, that is, a, it's a group that does, they're, they're the group, I mentioned this months ago, they rated, so I thought that was great um, for a time. Those issues, um, man, there are a lot of issues in that category. Um, abortion, poverty, racism, climate change, sexual ethics, the role of women in church leadership. Does this passage apply to those issues? And like, I've known this passage is coming for months, particularly for the last few weeks. I've had a lot of conversations um, with other pastors, with you guys, and I think it does. Um, And so let me throw out some principles that I think apply um, out of this passage. And here's the first one. The key to unity in the church is individual humility before God. I think he presses this over and over again throughout the passage. So one person esteems the day as better than another, while other esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who... 
If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of God, for it's written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, and every tongue will confess to me, to God, and will give an account of himself to God. And so whatever you think about these things should be surrendered before the Lord. And it's primarily between you and God. It can't help but spill over at times, but it's got to start with you and it makes the most sense to us. It's what we are convinced that God thinks about whatever the issue is um, that we're dealing with. And, and, and he wants us to come to him with that. Um, all the time he wants us to come to him day by day, issue by issue, and, and figure out what he thinks about it. He wants us to seek the best through his word, by knowing his character through his word. That's how we understand what his will is, and we're not going to be accountable to what anyone else thinks about our opinion. We'll be accountable to eat a unity. Um, if it's my opinion against your opinion, that's one thing. Uh, if we ultimately know that God is the one who'll judge and God is the we know like there's a possibility we have it wrong, it minimizes our opinions. And if both of us are seeking the will of God, it increases the chances that our opinions aren't going to divide us. And unless you know God as that and yourself as nothing by comparison, you don't know God at all. And if you're constantly seeking that God, you're not thinking so highly about your own opinion. It's not about the person, you and the person next results from people thinking the right thing or the wrong thing. And God has allowed plenty of wrong thinking that's led to wrongdoing and still had his will done. Um, and he is still in control. What I think or what God says to be true. Uh, does God share the judgment or the contempt I feel for... I, those are like penetrating words. Am I able to disagree with someone without judging or despising them? Because I think, and increasingly we get into camps, and, and that's how we think about it. Um, so our humility before God is that we get along, then that we get it right. Now I'm going to be honest, that bugs me a little bit, because I like to get things right. Um, I almost stick maybe more so than any culture on, in the history of earth or an individualistic culture I think we're right about, and it'd just be us in a silo. And the idea of sacrificing individual rights or opinions for the sake of community, telling them that they'd be right, kind of bugs me. He doesn't launch into a dissertation of the issues that the Roman church is disagreeing over. And I'm pretty confident that he could. To him, the issues are, no, you don't have to celebrate the Sabbath or the Passover or the Feast of Booths or whatever it is. Like, dummy, Jesus died on the cross for you. And, and Paul could call people dummies. Like, he did that. Instead, he says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of another. Like, I think that's hard. Um, and, and I think for the issues that are the hardest for us, I'm not sure that translates. Right? If your brother is grieved by who you voted for the last time, just vote for the other guy. And grieve somebody else. You know, like it can't, I, what do you do with that? Um, if your brother or sister is grieved by your beliefs about X or Y, just change your beliefs. That's not what he's saying. Uh, and I have a hard time seeing how it's applicable to a lot of things that they were dealing with. If your brother is grieved because you don't celebrate that Old Testament festival, then next year just go on and celebrate that Old Testament festival. I don't think that's what he's telling them. But I think he is saying, like, don't make it a bigger deal than you have to. Like, if they don't eat pork because they're still hung up in the Old Testament, the next time you're having them over for dinner, don't smoke a pork shoulder just to see what they do. 
just smoke a brisket, man. It'll be fine, you know? So I, I don't know exactly how that applies and how it um, translates. And he goes on, I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it's unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. If your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. And so walking in love, when you can walk in love, seems to be more important than convincing them that you're right and they're wrong. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You may be right about an issue, but if you're right in the wrong way, you're still wrong. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Um, let me say a third thing about this. The, the clearer the issue is biblically, the more potential it has to create distance, but not necessarily disunity. Um, so... Uh, this, so there are issues that are just clearer biblically than others. If I had like a whole spectrum of them, you know, um, there are some we talk about in the membership class like close-handed and open-handed issues, things we can disagree on and s still be in church together and things that we can't. And the things that we can't are like super important theological things, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the divinity of Jesus, the sinful nature of mankind, the reality of the Trinity, the authority of Scripture. Like those are, we're not a church without those things, you know. There are things that I can make a strong biblical case for. Um, life starts at conception. And so that should inform our thinking about abortion. Um, sexual ethics. God created sex for a married man and a married woman um, to enjoy together. And so that would, should form our boundaries. Um, complementarian theology. Women are leaders and can lead in so many ways. The office of elder in the church is one that men should hold. And we can go through scripture and and debate that, you know, God's concern for racism, God's concern for the poor and the marginalized, which I'm not sure translate as directly to policy, but I think it's, they're clear in scripture that God is concerned about those things, and, and we should be too. There are things that I think you can make a weak biblical case for, like God is concerned for the outsider when it comes to immigration, but I don't think, that's, I think it's hard to make, to look at the Bible and form immigration policy. Um, I think Income inequality is something that's spoken to in Scripture. I don't know what you do about that. Climate change. I've had people before, you know, want me to preach on climate care. And, man, this is, you know, both side, sides of things where um, I do think. That, and it's always made sense to me that God said, take care of the earth. Um, it's like that kind of fits into climate care. But then, you know, more conservative folks, like my dad. He's probably not listening, so I'll talk about him for a second. But he always used to, he would make fun of me for recycling. Like, come on, dad. But then it turns out he's probably right because they say that 90% of what you throw in your recycling bin goes in the trash anyway. So, you know, so like you can speak to those. And then there are things I just don't think the Bible speaks to. Like, should you get vaccinated? Should you, should you warn a mask? Halloween probably says something in there about it. Harry Potter, who should you vote for? And I think those things at the top have, again, not necessarily disunity, but in some ways, you know, but they can create distance. They're inevitably going to create distance because you have to, like, there's certain actions that you have to take based on those things. And I think Paul would counsel patience, you know. I think he fully expects in this passage the weaker brothers and sisters are going to become stronger brothers and sisters over time with discipleship. I just think he's being patient. 
And what makes it hard for us is that we think we're the stronger brother in all the issues and they're the weaker brother, but they think the same thing, you know? Um, and it, so many of these views are affected by so many factors. Uh, how new are you to the Christian faith? Um, and we've tried to like major on the major, which is the gospel. And when you walk in here, it's about, like, do you understand that this is not about what you do for God to earn his approval? Because you can never do enough. It's about what he's done for you in the person of Christ. And your righteousness isn't based on you getting your act together. It's based on Jesus having his act together and giving his act to you um, through grace. And then he will begin the work of transforming you. It's all about grace. And so if we start with behavior modification which is what a lot of this becomes in a church culture is behavior modification, withholding the right positions on issues, then we, we can derail discipleship. We can preach grace that God is going to transform you from the inside out, but too often we create a culture that's about conformity, about transforming you on the outside and not even worrying about what God's doing on the inside. And that's been a huge problem for the church from the time of Jesus, right? And so that matters. How new are you? How much have you... How much time have you spent in the Word of God? How much have you been taught? How much have you read it for yourself? Um, how much have you talked about it with others? How much is it informing how you see the world around you? What environment were you raised in? Like on some of these views that are heavy social views, what's your backlash on changing your position on some of these issues? Like you may have a brother or sister that's gay. And so talking about what the Bible says about homosexuality is a different conversation that is you, for you for somebody else. Um, every time I come to issues like this and, um, and, I, and I say the word abortion, I know I'm talking to women and to men who have babies that have been aborted. And I just want you to know that like, I hate having to bring this up without having to spend time in it. I don't even like the word because the word sounds harsh. Um, and I, I know there's a lot that goes, there's a, there's a weight that goes into that. And some of you like are carrying that weight and Jesus has taken it away from you because he's died on the cross. He's died on the cross to, to give us grace. And some of you probably disagree with me and are like mad that I'm bringing it up that it would be something that Jesus had to die for. We could talk about that. You know, I just like, there's a weight to these issues. Um, ben Olson has spent his whole life dealing with poverty and because his family ran the Smithfield Rescue Mission before he did. I guarantee he knows what the Bible says about poverty better than any of us and feels the weight of that, and it's a higher priority for him than it is for you or me because he's lived with it. And so those things, I think Paul would say, have patience with him. Um, but the more, the more biblical an issue is, the more distance it's going to inevitably create. So those things at the top of the list, you know, the... The close-handed ones are one thing. The, the next level that I mentioned, um, they, don't, they don't have to create. We still love people, you know. There was a family here the first three years of the church. We had not landed on the complementarian, egalitarian, whether we were going to have um, women as, as elders. And we spent a few years just investigating what we thought the Bible, reading both sides, all this stuff, and ended up becoming complementarian. There was a family here. She had been ordained um, at Duke as pastor. And I knew that. And I told her, like, hey, this issue's hanging out there. And uh, I don't want to, like, bait and switch you. I don't know where this is going to end up. Um, but that, the Sunday that we kind of laid that out was the last Sunday they were, they were here. And they were, like, in our home group. Their friends were good. Our, their, our kids were good friends. Um, 
he and I were in a, a journey group, which was a group of three guys that got together on a regular basis, and the third guy always slept in, so that was really a group of two guys, uh, just me and Matt, and, um, and I, I mean, we loved them, and, but context, you know, we just didn't, we're busy people, little kids, busy jobs, just didn't see each other, some like frayed emotions that you're not sure where they stand, and a couple years ago, our kids were started playing soccer at Enlo together. Matthew was a senior and um, Owen was a freshman. And so I was on the sideline with them and some, had some context just to hang out. About halfway through the season, I said to him, um, listen, in 15 years of pastoring the church and, and a bunch of hard things that no one ever told me about and couldn't have seen coming, some really hard emotional things, you guys leaving was like top three hard things. And I didn't tell them that to dog them. I knew it was hard for them. I, meant, I told them that to tell them I, I love you. And I miss you, and I never stopped loving you. Even though we disagree on these things, and I totally understand that, like, I miss you guys, and I love you guys. And I think there's a, there's a way to, like, they, they have, they can, they're going to create distance, but they don't have to, like, diminish love that we have um, for brothers and sisters. Uh, the things at the bottom of the list, like, I think we should... I think we should be able to overcome those. And I think, like, we in the church, man, if you polled us on where we voted in the last election, like, just, I might do that anonymously just because I'm super curious, you know. But we might have, we might have done it because we just haven't talked about it. And I kind of want to talk about it coming up to the next election because I think we're supposed to. <laughs> so I'm probably going to have some, I'm going to have some, like, open forum type things in the next year where we talk about different issues and try and find a way um, to do that without killing the church, because I think we should be able to. Um, the end in the next passage in chapter uh, 15, one of the lines is this, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For the glory of God that there's something bigger than those issues. And it's the work of Christ on our behalf. This is the last thing I'm going to say. The temptation to disunity results from not believing the gospel. I think this is, this is largely true. The weaker brother is the one who's finding his identity in something other than the work of Christ on his behalf. In this passage, the weaker brother is the one that doesn't think meat is, is, uh, that thinks meat is unclean because they don't understand the fullness of the work of the gospel on their behalf. Um, and, and the meat doesn't matter anymore because we're made righteous by Christ's work uh, for us. But Paul's patient with them and coming to that understanding and confident that God is the one that has to do that work. We're, we're not about a lot of these things. Like, when you disagree, what do you do? Um, and I think those are opportunities to ask, how much on a scale of 1 to 10 do I love being, do I need to be right about something? Do I enjoy being right? Am I satisfied in being right? Um, can you have discussions with people you disagree with? So I think this is, some of this is personality-based, but, but a lot of it, I think, some of it is just spiritual. The more important it is for you to be right, the more it may be that your identity isn't in the finished work of Christ on your behalf, but on you winning an argument and being right. And that's when we start to isolate, because then we get in a group of people that think like this so we can be right together. And then another thing I'd ask is how angry do you get about these things? Because the more angry you find yourself, the more it may be that you don't believe that God is in control and that you are the one that needs to be in control. And if you don't get in control, we don't get control of this thing. And who knows what's going to happen? Well, God knows what's going to happen. Um, 
So let me, the test case for this the last two weeks has been what's going on in Israel, for me, personally, because I can't stop reading about it and listening to people talk about it and thinking about it, praying about it. Um, so if you're, if you're unaware, um, some folks from the Gaza Strip, part of Hamas, the governing, but I think a terrorist organization, came up and, and killed a bunch of people, not soldiers, just people that live in the southern part of Israel, um, you know, trying to pick a fight, and they did it. Now, m- to understand a little bit, if you're in, some of you just may not have any background or care or whatever, some of you may be into this, like, I've been thinking about this for a long time. Um, I went to Israel, our guide was a Palestinian who was a Christian. That's a unique perspective. Just before that, I'd heard of the Palestinian Christian president of the Bethlehem Bible College in Bethlehem, who's in the West Bank, talk about this, and that Israel... Um, does some bad things. Israel's not always, um, they, have some, they have some blood on their hands, they've done some bad things. I get it, like, there's two sides to this. I've, I've, I've studied the history of it, and I'm not sure anyone fully understands the history of it, and yet I think that Israel has a right to exist, and, and the core of this issue is hardline Palestinians who largely, for religious reasons, can't abide the very existence of Israel. So, like, there's two sides of this issue for me, and I've spent some time on it over the years. Um, I can understand why people would, in other times, protest in favor of things that Israel's done that are unjust to the Palestinians. What I cannot understand is the last few weeks how people can protest in support of people that have committed, like, bar- if you've read anything about what's happened, barbaric, um, medieval, I would argue demonic atrocities to innocent folks and children in southern Israel, and people in mass in our country protesting for that, um, not just dismissing, but even rejoicing in the deaths of innocent Israelis. Like, it has me furious. Uh, And underneath it, I think it has me scared. That's not, well, it could come to us if that's how world wars start. But, um, But because underneath it, I do think... There's an ideology of there's people that have power and people that don't, and people that don't have power are justified in anything they want to do to go against people that have power. And people that have no idea what's going on over there are protesting because that's taken hold um, more than we realize. And so I'm like, is this, where does this fit in your spectrum, Jeff? Like, is it a biblical issue or not? Ultimately, I think it is because murder is a biblical issue and other things that happen have happened there. Um, and so I say all that to say, like, some of you in listening to this are really angry about stuff, and you're like, but I have the right to be angry about that. And you, I'm just saying, I know it's not easy. Like, there are things that are worth taking a stand on, and this is not an easy passage. Like, there's been a weight on me of this passage for a couple weeks, if not a couple months, um, knowing it's hard. And I'd love to talk about all of that, you know. But ultimately, where this has driven me is a place of, of praying more, of trying to understand it more, um, of 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 asking him what he's doing in it, of realizing and surrendering that I'm not in control of it, and growing my trust that he is. And I think all of these issues are opportunities um, for that to happen. So I'm going to finish. The band can come back up here. I just got a few more things to say. There's a couple sites that I found that have been pointed out to me. Um, John, um, he used the site during the last election, the AND campaign, that I spent some time on the last few weeks. That's really good. Um, There's a a, site, a group called More in Common that has a site called Hidden Tribes. That's really interesting to talk about, like, 
that there's really only a small percentage on either side, on the right or left, that are loud. And they term that most of us are in the exhausted middle politically. Um, but just understanding where things are, I would encourage you, if you have sites that are like that, I, you know, you can point them out to me and I'd love to look at them. These two verses stuck out to me in the end. It's before his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. For the disagreements that we have within the church with brothers and sisters in Christ who agree on the top level things, the most important things, it is before his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Um, God is the one that's in control. And for to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the living and the dead. I think you can say that he died, that he might be the Lord of both the Republicans and the Democrats, of the vaccinated and then the unvaccinated. You know, like, he is the one that is Lord over all those things. And he died and rose again so that we would all be redeemed, so that we would all be sanctified, um, so that it's his work that would be the work that's being done. And we are to surrender to the work that he is doing. So as we take communion this morning and we invite you um, during these next few songs to come up here and to remember what Christ has done for us by taking of his, his, the bread, which is the body that's broken for us, and the juice, which is his blood that was shed for us, um, that the finished work of Christ on our behalf has the power um, to unite us even in the toughest of things. Father, thanks for this passage. Uh, I pray that you would speak to our hearts the way that you want to speak to our hearts. I pray for unity within our church, not uniformity, not that we all have to think the same things, that we can unify in the things that are most important and that you have made clear to us what the things are that are most important to us, Lord. And uh, pray that, that out of that, um, you would be made known and your glory would be seen, Lord, because your church can handle these things differently than the world is around us that doesn't know Christ. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.